Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So what is a superhero's favorite holiday destination? Cape Town. (laughs) I like that one. My doctor told me I've really grown as a person. Well, what he literally said was, you've gained some weight. (laughs) All right. So I got an Instapot. Anybody else do that? I went somewhere with somebody and they had an Instapot and they were cooking food in their Instapot. I mean, they made it fast and all that kind of stuff. So I told my wife about it. Some other people were telling her she had to get one. So we got one, and she cooked with it twice, and now it's sitting on a shelf in our basement. Because, you know, what do you really do with it? I mean, you throw chicken in it. It cooks fast. How often do I want chicken cooked fast? I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. Right? How about this? All right. We got a baby. Speaking of Pastor Garrett's baby, I remember us coming home from the hospital. We had our baby, brand new baby girl, in the baby seat. We brought her in, put her down on the, because she was asleep, we set her down on the floor in her baby seat, and, her, and Rob and I sat on the couch, and we looked at her, and we were like, now what? <laughs> if only we knew. <laughs> we would have sent her back. No, I'm, 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 just, I'm joking. I'm joking. The best thing that ever happened in my life was having kids. Uh, all right. So last week, what we learned was this. We learned that Jesus really was physically, literally resurrected from the dead. He physically got up out of the grave. That means he is Lord. That means he is God. There is no, if Jesus, you know, the stories are real. If the stories are true that Jesus really was resurrected from the dead, then we need to make him Lord. And those stories are true, that he died for us, On the cross, he was buried in the grave according to the scriptures, and he was resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures. So what do we do with it now? What now? Yeah, Jesus is my Lord. What do we do now? Do you ever feel that way? Like, what do I do? How do I walk this out? Well, this weekend, we want to embrace the logical progression of that simple truth. If Jesus is Lord, what next? And the first key to faith is to embrace what Jesus told us was next. And it's called the Great Commission. Not the Great Mission, it's called the Great Commission. And do you know what the difference between the Great Mission and the Great Commission is? The Great Commission means we have to do it what? Together. The co means together. Now, a lot of people have read this great commission, and they think it is about, and they make it as if it's only for pastors or missionaries. And that is a huge fallacy. I just want to kill that to begin with. The Great Commission is only accomplished when all of us are committed to what Jesus told us to do. So after the resurrection, Jesus instructed his disciples to go back to Galilee. They were in Jerusalem a bit. He said, hey, go back to Galilee, and I'm going to appear to you there. In Acts uh, 1-3, we read, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days 
And he spoke about the kingdom of God. So there is Jesus showing up for 40 days, making many more proofs he's alive. And this resurrection, these are probably the times that Jesus appeared to the 500 and a few others. One other thing you need to know is this story happens on a mountain. Why is that important? Because Matthew is writing about it. And Matthew, in his gospel, is, uh, he's presenting Jesus as a second lawgiver. He arranges the material of Matthew into five uh, main teaching sections. And those five main teaching sections are there on purpose because there are five books of the Old Testament law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those five books are now being mirrored by Jesus teaching in five different places in Matthew. And where Jesus does this teaching, where all of these things happen, are all on mountains. Because where did Moses receive the law? On the mountain. Where is Jesus now representing the kingdom of God? On the mountain. So, for example, the sermon on the Mount, there you go, Sermon on the Mount. And then there was the Sermon on the Temple Mount that he gave. And then Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You see what's going on here? So Jesus, now the second lawgiver, goes back to a mountain to tell his disciples what they need to do to follow God in this new kingdom. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word and let's just read it together, okay? Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Father, I pray a blessing on your word. And as I break down this passage and I talk about some nuances of it, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you would say to us, that you would help us to figure out what's next and that our faith wouldn't be an Instapot stuck on a shelf in the basement. Instead, it would be the living, vibrant relationship with you that you called it to be. And I pray that you would speak that we would hear and we would respond in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, don't sit down yet. You've got to turn and look at somebody close to you and give them a big smile and say, you are sitting next to the greatest person you'll sit next to all day. <laughs> hey, if you're online, God bless you. It's good to see you. Here's a big smile. Yeah. Now, hold on. If you didn't get a smile, if you didn't get a smile, Shame on the people around you. Here's your smile, okay? I'll give you one. By the way, if you come to Harvest Ridge, you call Harvest Ridge your home and you can't smile at somebody, may God have mercy on your soul. No, seriously, if you can't be nice to somebody you don't know, maybe you look around and you see somebody sitting alone. It is your responsibility, not their responsibility. It is your responsibility to make sure that they see somebody likes them enough to smile at them. And if anybody ever walks into this church and they walk out without somebody taking a moment to smile at them and be nice to them, you let me know and I'll put the whole church through sensitivity training next week. Because the fact of the matter is this, out there in the world you get yelled at about everything and canceled for anything you say wrong. 
Come on, I was in a continuing education course this week, and one of the person was complaining about how you don't call people the right nouns or pronouns or whatever it is. Listen, listen, at Harvest Ridge, there ain't none of that. At Harvest Ridge, what there is is this. If somebody doesn't call you the right thing, you smile at them and you say, Jesus loves you, and they're going to love you back. Right? Because this is a place where you're accepted because everybody's accepted. And if you want to get goofy about it, just get the smile because we love you anyway. I'm putting you through sensitivity training now because some of you didn't smile at anybody a while ago. And I'm yelling at you. Yes, I am. This is a place we are friendly to people. People we know and people we do not know. Now, turn to somebody, give him a big smile and say, I got to do this or he's going to yell at me some more. <laughs> Come on. All right, there you go. Oh, it sounded just for a second like you might have liked somebody close to you. Stop my heart. All right, here you go. All right. So this passage, Jesus gave us three very clear instructions about what we're to do next. Three very clear instructions about what we're supposed to do next. And the first one is, deal with your doubts. Did anybody else catch this when I read the passage? Am I the only person that caught Because when I was reading this passage, I thought about skipping this verse because it messed with me so much. Can I be honest? Sometimes I want to skip things. I'm like, no, I don't want to deal with that. But if you know me, you know that's probably going to be the thing we're going to talk about. Because if it bugs me... That means it's probably bugging you, so we might as well talk about it, right? All right, so um, Matthew 28, 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Does anybody else get a pause? Come on. Jesus, they just saw Jesus on the cross, dead. Nails through his hands and feet, pierced side with a, a, a spear in his heart. Dead as a doornail, hanging from a cross, take him down, lay him in a tomb, and now he's appeared to them. He's already appeared once and told them where to go, and then they go there, and they're expecting to meet him because they were told he was going to be there, and when they get there, he appears to them, and some of them still doubted. I'm like, what the heck is the matter with you? What? You mean, just because you had a miracle, it doesn't mean you... Never struggle again? Hey, come on. I sat, I, I sat right out here in this parking lot back before this parking lot was this parking lot. <laughs> when it was the old parking lot. And I remember looking at it as they were starting to tear down entrances of the old building and mess stuff up. And I remember sitting there saying, remember we had, we built a four and a half million dollar facility because of all the changes and stuff. Four and a half million dollars. We had 2.2 million and we had 700,000 in the bank. If, if, if you don't get that, it's probably because you're bad at math. And if you're bad at math, you're probably already playing the lottery. So I'm sorry. You know the lottery is just a tax on people that are really, really bad at math, right? Don't get me started. So anyway, we're going to build this building. There's no way we can afford it. There is no way we can afford it. And I remember sitting out there in my truck looking at it going, Oh, God, if you pull this off, I will never doubt you again. Anybody ever said anything stupid like that before? Yeah. I am reminded of that all the time about how the fact that I said, God, I will never doubt you again, yet, yet I do it all the time, right? 
Well, I'm only preaching to me and Oli over here, right? <laughs> God showed up for me. Come on, there, there are times in my past, I, up in the old chapel, there, I didn't think anything was going to happen. Somebody said, can we pray for you, Pastor? I'm like, if you have to. I'll tell you this story some other time. But I'm like, no, don't pray for me. I don't even like you. And they laid a hand on me and prayed for me, and I was healed. And I'm like, why did you do that, God? Because now they think that. Anyway, sorry. Anybody ever been mad that God did a miracle? And it was a supernatural miracle. Fire shot down my leg, back on my leg. I was well in one second. I didn't expect it to happen. No psychosomatic miracle there. I wasn't talking myself into it. God did a miracle. And still I doubt him. God did a miracle. Still I doubt him. You know how many times my co- Come on, when I was a kid. One day when I was a kid. Well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be on this earth. My mom had a tumor in her uterus the size of a grapefruit. 12-year-old girl named Debbie Loki said, sit down on this piano bench, laid hands on her, prayed for her. She was healed. Ten months later, I was born. So I was raised with this, God brought you into this world for a reason. He works miracles in you and through you. So when I'm a little kid, I still remember the day. It was our, it was our uh, a gray, uh, beige Skylark, four-door Skylark, if that tells you anything. And we were, we were berry picking. Anybody ever been blackberry picking? If you've never been blackberry picking, you do not understand the words of pain and agony. Blackberry picking, they had brush heaps that were 10, 15 feet tall, covered with thorns and chiggers and mosquitoes everywhere and ticks, and you go crawling in it, getting scratched the living daylights to get a couple of blackberries so mama can make some blackberry cobbler. Yum! Sometimes the pleasure is worth the pain. Anyway, sorry. I, I, so anyway, we're there, and my dad did something he never did. Come on, in Oklahoma, when you went blackberry picking, you were 14 miles from nowhere. You go to nowhere, hang a left, go 14 miles, and that's where we were. We were in the middle of nowhere, and I mean nowhere, and dad locked the keys in the base four-door Skylark. So here we are. I still remember mom saying the keys are locked in the car. I don't know what we're going to do. We're dying of thirst. We got gallons of blackberries. What do you do? I remember as a kid walking over to the Skylark on the driver's side door, looking down at the keys, laying my hands on the door and saying, Jesus, open this door. And about that time, we hear a car coming down the road. Come on, it's coincidence, right? And they just coincidentally had a hanger in their car. And three minutes after I prayed the prayer, the door was open and we were headed out. But it's just coincidence. I have miracles like that all throughout my life. You know, we needed $700 to pay the final down payment on our house. We didn't have, I don't know, you church planners, 30 years ago when we planted this church, you know how much you made as a church planner? (laughs) About what you make now. Anyway, we didn't get, we had a congregation of zero. They paid a lot of bills. We need $700 to close on our house. You know what we had that day? Zero. You know what happened the day we needed the money? We went to the mailbox, opened the mailbox, and a check for $710. So we paid the $700, and we went to Wendy's to celebrate. Come on. God's done all these miracles, all these miracles everywhere, and still I doubt him. If you were to think about it, God's done all these miracles in your life and you just keep doubting them and you keep pushing those miracles back. And what happens is today's pain keeps you from remembering yesterday's miracles. That's the reason we need to do this thing called thanksgiving. 
where we remember with thanksgiving what God has done. So how did they do this? Jesus is standing there alive in front of them and some doubted. I was struggling with that. And then I started thinking about my struggle and I realized that's probably human nature. So I looked at doubt. I, w- I did what I always do. Because if you ever got a question, somebody's already asked that question before you. And trust me, whatever question you have, I probably already had it on steroids, especially if it's concerning God. Whatever doubt you have, I probably already had them on steroids. So there, if I've had them, I've found answers. You can find answers. All of these things have answers. You just got to look for them. So I went to my dusty bookshelf and I pulled dusty books off and I started reading about this passage. And I came up with three options about they doubted. The first one is this. Option number one, Jesus was not always quickly recognized after the resurrection. You remember? Uh, There was, uh, let me see, the two on the Emmaus Road, they took a long walk with Jesus and they didn't know it was Jesus. It wasn't until they were sitting down eating with him and he broke the bread that they're like, it's Jesus. And then he disappeared and they're like, boy, we were stupid, but weren't our hearts burning with us while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Yeah? How about Peter? The disciples, they're in the boat. Some guy yells, hey, cast your nets on the other side. Do you ever notice that every time Jesus met Peter, Peter was fishing? And, and every time Peter was fishing and Jesus was around... Peter wasn't catching any fish. So can I say something about Peter? He was a bad fisherman. (laughs) So here he is, and and after they get the fish and the net's full of fish, uh, John says, it's Jesus. And they're like, Peter's like, it is. So you see, he didn't recognize him. And maybe that's what's going on. They were doubting, is this really Jesus? Because it wasn't always easy to recognize him, apparently. (laughs) Is this Jesus or is it my imagination? Is this Jesus or is it something... I made up. Can I tell you that I have respect for people who approach their faith without being superstitious and gullible? Because your faith, if it's worth having, can stand the questions that you throw at it. Option number two, the doubting moment is joined specifically with the reaction of others to worship Jesus. Maybe what they were saying is, is this okay? Because you know, they were all Jews, right? And the Jews had this verse that said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And they realized, because the Babylonian captivity at one time, let me see, they worshiped somebody other than God, they worshiped other gods, and God said, no, 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 we don't do that here. No, 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 not today. He like, smack, we are not doing that, right? You aren't going to worship other gods. And maybe they saw these people worshiping Jesus, and they're like, we did that one time, we wound up in captivity, and everything got destroyed and they were nervous and maybe their doubts was is this all right to do how about this one this is the one i liked the greek word used for doubts here is distasio it's a greek word and it means literally a state of uncertainty or hesitation a state of certainty or hesitation have you ever been in a situation where like you, you really think God's moving and you're like, I just don't know what to do here. Anybody ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you really are happy you're there, but you're not really sure? Or maybe you're really hesitant because you're not sure what to do next? Of course you have. First day of school, 
think about it. first day of junior high. Come on, can we be honest? We walk in and there's this hallway filled with all these kids and I'm like, I don't even know what a locker is. I didn't have one in grade school. And now I've got to find a locker and do my combination and move from class to class. How do I do this? Do you, does anybody remember that fear, that hesitation, that doubt of standing in the hallway going, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Yeah? How, how about... Let me see the first day on a new job. You know, you walk in. Yeah, they hired me. They gave me a job description. They gave me a computer and a cubicle. Here I am. Now what? <laughs> right? Yeah. And if I don't produce, they're going to fire me. So I better find out pretty soon, right? How, how, about, how about getting married? Now, for me, it was really a shock to my system because my wife and I did not live together before we got married. Because we wanted our marriage to last. And you know, statistics prove. I just reread some articles in the break between services. You know, statistics are still proving that if you live together before you get married, you're not very smart. Because your likelihood of divorce goes way up. And even though it's gone down in years because now people don't get married for a long time so they live together a little bit and then they just separate so the divorce rate isn't as high now but the separation rate is actually higher now. So can I just say something about you? Those of you that want to live together before you get married? Don't be dumb. By the way, I did not quote a single Christian verse or statistic there. This is secular truth. It just so happens to agree with the Bible because truth is truth, right? How about this? We didn't even have sex before we got married because we wanted our marriage to last. And you talk about awkward. You're like, first night? I know what? <laughs> and my wife sitting here somewhere is going, stop already. Now what? Stop. <laughs> why, why do I say all those things? Because we wanted our marriage to last, so we did it right. By the, by the way, if you want it to work, you should probably do it. Wow. Okay. But there's an awkwardness, right? And that awkwardness is now what? What do I do now? And I think that's what the disciples felt in that moment. They're like, it's Jesus. Oh, what do we do? He's resurrected. And they felt attention. So what Jesus did, before I get to what Jesus did, let me just tell you, if you ever feel that as a Christian, it's all right. My favorite prayer in the Bible, Mark 9, 24, immediately the boy's father explained, listen to this, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Yeah. Favorite prayer in the Bible. I do believe, I don't doubt you, and then I doubt you again, God. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay. You know what you keep doing? You keep going back to the source of truth, and God will continue to reveal the power to overcome. Because what did Jesus say to them? When he felt their tension, he said, <laughs> Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them. First thing he did is he came close to them. What was his first thing? He didn't, when they doubted, he didn't run from them. What was the first thing he did? He came close to them. And those of you that think God's going to disown you because you have questions, no, no, no. That's when he's trying to come closer to you. And then the second thing he did, he gave them a communication. He communicated with them about their doubts. What did he say to them? He said, all authority. How much authority? All, all authority. Where at? On heaven and 
They're all given to me, every bit of it. So what did he do? He resolved their doubts by coming close to them and by communicating with them that every bit of this worship is okay and that every bit of the question you have is okay, but I'm in control. So if I understand this properly, Jesus' communication deals with all three angles of the struggle. He changes the perception of who he is. He says it's okay to worship and venerate him. And he also says, since I have all authority, your uncertainty can vanish in my presence. Now, I, uh, I, I, I was an executor of an estate one time. Executor, not executor. <laughs> Different word, looks similar. Executor. So what happened was there was a lady in the church that made me the executor of her estate. She had, she had money and she had houses and she had some stuff she wanted taken care of properly when she died. And she gave me some specific instructions and all that kind of stuff. And, and um, the problem is she didn't obey all of her rules. Uh, so when she left me in charge, she didn't have any family to do it. So, so she left it for me to take care of because she wanted some things done. She wanted money given to these resources out there, different, seven different groups out there. And anyway, uh, as executor, she had, she had actually taken money and put them in places she wasn't supposed to put them. <laughs> Excess money, I think, came to her. She put it here, there, everywhere. So I had to go to court to get letters saying that I had the authority to walk into the bank and take money out of somebody else's account. <laughs> You know, if you walk into the bank tomorrow and you say, hey, I'd like money out of Bob Smith's account, they're going to say, no, you can't. But you know what I did? When I walked in and I said, I want money out of this lady's account, and they would say, uh, I don't think you can, I would pull out the letter and I would say, all authority has been given to me to make any decision that needs to be made regarding this money. Right here's the court saying it. And listen, there's a confidence when you walk in the bank. You're not, they're not, they're not by law allowed to reject me. Because I have the what? Authority. And Jesus said what? Jesus said, I have all authority. And now, with that authority in his hands, he's going to tell us how to live our lives. Y'all ready? Here we go. The second thing is he tells you to make disciples. This passage is known as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the great commission. We do this together. This is spoken to every one of us. The problem is, the way it has been read for years is read wrongly. As a matter of fact, this translation doesn't do this text justice. The reason why is, go is the imperative verb here. The imperative verb. If I were to say to you, uh, we have a threat here. You must go outside right now. Go outside. If I were to say that to you, would there be any doubt who I was speaking to? No, I would be giving an imperative command. It wouldn't be, a, oh, maybe you ought to. It would be go now, right? All right. The way this reads is that you, the only way you can fulfill the Great Commission is to go somewhere. The problem is, that's not what it says in the Greek. There's only one verb in the entire sentence, and that verb is make disciples. The action we're to do is to make disciples. Then there are three participles, which are verbs pretending to be nouns, and they're, it doesn't matter. This is how it should read. 
while you are going, make disciples. So there are three actions that we take that help us to make disciples. And the first one is going. First activity is going. Oh, by the way, one, one thing. It tells us to make disciples, not converts. I talked to a guy one time. He was a pastor of a church near here. And I said, uh, how you doing? And he said, great. I said, uh, how's your year been? He said, great. I led over 200 people to Jesus this past year. I'm like, you led 200 people to Jesus this past year? That's awesome. Man, your church must be busting at the seams. He said, no, we're still the same as we were before. And I'm like, what? You led 200 people to Jesus? Not one single person came to your church? He said, no. I said, well, then I found out how he was doing. He was basically cornering them some, somewhere. And as he was cornering them, he was not letting them get away from him in the conversation until they said the sinner's prayer. And all the nice people in the world were saying the sinner's prayers just so they could go away from him. And they weren't... They were like me. He did that to me. I might punch him in the face. And it, that, that's not the proper gospel response, but that would be my response. Don't corner me and try to convert me because we are not told to go make converts. We're told to go make... Converts are not the goal. We're not going to bully people or twist their arms. We're to teach them. So, all right, going. And what does the going mean? While you are going... While you are going, it's, it doesn't mean that you need to go to Africa. You need to pack up and go to Africa or China or something like that. What it means is while you're going to the store. I heard a story yesterday. Can I tell you a story? I was teaching a class. I taught a class for six hours yesterday, New Testament. Man, it was fun. I'm dead. It was fun, but I was dead. I, I mean, I was dead. Six hours teaching. One of the kids told me a story back. They said, they, um, we were talking about making disciples like this, and they, they were talking about how God did a miracle one day. His, her, the, the lady sitting there, her brother was in Walmart. And they were over on Walmart. And uh, he runs into somebody at Walmart, and they, they said, uh, yeah, I'm sick. And he said, well, can I pray for you? Apparently it was a physical illness they could see. And he laid hands on her. And when he laid hands on her and prayed for her in Walmart, you know, just simple, not just simple hand on her, prayed for her. She was, the, the person the guy prayed for was healed. I, immediately, right there in Walmart. He said he got crazy, reached over, the, the girl said her brother got crazy, reached over, grabbed the microphone and said, Jesus is in aisle seven doing miracles. If you want prayer, come now. <laughs> it sounds like something you'd do, Joanne. Yeah. What, what am I saying is this. While you are going to the grocery store, while you're going to your kid's soccer match, while you're going to work, while you're going to the water cooler at work, while you're going wherever you're going, your job as a disciple maker of Jesus is not something you do one hour a week. It's something you do every single moment of your entire life. While you are going, everywhere you're going, make disciples. And then says, second is baptizing. Oh, can I say, yeah, yeah, baptizing, baptizing. There's a natural second step. If you believed in Jesus, you need to be baptized, baptized. I curse you clock in the name of Jesus. How did you do that? You're evil. I command you. <laughs> Sorry. Did, I, I, I hope you don't mind if I have a little fun with that. All right. That's joking. I'm joking. I'm not really trying to be a jerk to the clock. 
right, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So you need to, after you repent, you make Jesus your Lord. What do you need to do? Repent and? Be baptized. It's right there. Just be baptized. All right. Why do we do it? Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. So what happens is when, you, when you're born again, you're dead in your trespass and your sin, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is imparted to you. And when it's imparted to you, you live a new life. So what we do in baptism is we have a funeral for you. And the funeral goes like this. You were dead in your trespass and sin we bury you underwater symbolizing how Jesus was buried and then we pull you up out of the water symbolizing how Jesus given you a new life that's what we do that's why we baptize that way by the way if you were baptized as an infant that was an incredibly spiritual moment for your parents you don't remember it and if you if you uh, if you want to be baptized we're going to have a baptism on May 1st at the refresh night and I want to encourage you later today, we're going to have people standing across the front here and they're going to sign you up for baptism. We're also going to have uh, people at the hub that will sign you up for baptism or you can go online and register for baptism because we want to give you no excuses. Anyway, you can find a way to be baptized May 1st at our refresh night. Okay, that being said, you say, well, I don't need to do that. I want to read you this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 14. What does it say? But John tried to deter him. This is Jesus. Uh, tried to deter Jesus. And he, Jesus, John said, I need to be baptized you, and you come to me. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So if Jesus had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, who do you think you are? <laughs> and then the last one is teaching. What do you teach? I tell you what you teach. You don't teach in classrooms like I did yesterday. That was fun. But how do you teach? You teach in the moments of life while you are going, while your kid comes home and says, Mommy, today in school, they taught me that I can choose whether I want to be a boy or a girl. You have a moment to teach at that moment that God created the male and female. And if you have a Y chromosome, no matter how much you put into your body to change you, no matter how much you slice yourself up, you are still a Y chromosome. And that means you're still a male in God's sight. And if, if a person has anorexia and they come to me and they say, I hate my body and I want to starve it to death, I'm going to try to get them help. Did I... I'm not being a hater here. I'm simply saying that if you come to me and you say, I hate the way God made me, maybe what needs to happen is maybe your heart and your mind need to be renewed in Jesus so you can learn to love yourself the way God made you to love yourself. And that's a teaching point we can teach our kids. We, we teach them. We, te we teach everywhere we go. We teach with our responses. My wife pulled up one day to a McDonald's and it was raining. And she was complaining about the rain blowing in the car. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, why do you always complain? You're going to teach your children to complain. And she said, isn't this a beautiful day God made? Because she learned and she decided to teach a different approach and attitude. Yeah. <sighs> Nicole Kirkendall was standing right here. She was at... Um, she went to get gas the other day, and while she was getting gas, a guy pulled up next to her and started complaining about high the, how high the gas prices were, so she started talking to him. They wound up in a conversation, and, uh, 
And he said, well, I guess I can put up with gas prices. At least I'm alive, even though not for long. She said, why? And he said, because I got cancer and I'm sick. And she said, the Holy Spirit moved on her. She said, can I pray for you? So right there, walked over. The guy said, well, okay. So she walked over. Nicole walked around, put her hand on his shoulder and began praying for him. She said, all of a sudden, he started crying. And like, she started crying. The Holy Ghost showed up right there at the gas pump. Because while you were going... You make disciples. This is what we do everywhere we are. Everywhere we are. At all times. All right, last thing in this passage. Be with Jesus. I just want to tell you, though, this be with Jesus thing, if you think it's always going to go easy and it's never going to get rough, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you, come to Jesus and everything will be perfect. That's bull. If somebody told you that, they lied to you. I want to show you 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you choose to be with Jesus, it may actually get worse on your flesh instead of better. Because when you choose to be Jesus, be with Jesus when you choose to be with him. There will be attacks of the devil and attacks by a culture that doesn't understand. And there will be struggles in your own flesh because you're going to have to change your ways to his way because he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay the way you are. So what happens? Jesus said, Matthew 28, 20, surely... I am with you always. Because you can bear anything if you know Jesus is there with you. Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. So they took note that these men had been what? They'd been with Jesus. You want your world to be different? Be with Jesus. You say, I can't do that. Yes, you can Turn off talk radio, especially if, anyway, sorry. Turn off that junk in your car on your commute to work. Put on a worship song really low and slow in the background and say, Jesus, what do you want to talk to me about today? Take a couple of minutes every day and read a little bit from your Bible. Start in the book of Luke and read a little bit. I mean, they come in little short snippets. You can read these in three to five minutes. And you're sitting on the toilet checking Instagram. Why not read the Bible instead? Why not, why not take some time intentionally? Find a place, time a time, find a space, and intentionally do it. Mark it out in your Bible and leave, pick up where you left off. I get a great idea. Take 30 seconds every day. This hurts worse than it used to. Do this right here, Jesus. Be my Lord today. I love you. I need you. Help. Help. Amen. Did that take forever? No, but what did I intentionally choose to do with my body and my mind and my mouth and my hands? I intentionally chose to focus. Take a time every day to focus. And if you miss a day, great. What? If you miss a day, great. That just means you're human. Miss one day, but don't miss two. Give yourself permission to miss a day. Just don't miss two. <laughs> Are y'all with me? Yes. 
be with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if you were with Jesus and he was with you and no matter what you faced, you were like those children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you must bow down and worship. And they said, nah, I don't think so. And what happened? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We will be committed to Jesus. We will going live our lives with him and for him. So what happened? King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, well, look, there are four men walking around. Not three. I threw in three and there are four there. They're now unbound and unharmed and the fourth looked like a son of the gods because here's what happens. Jesus shows up because he is with you. He's with you. So here's what I'd like us to do. Y'all ready for this? I'd like our prayer teams to come forward. Just come stand across. By stair to stair is leave me alone prayer space. If you come up and you're in this space right here, what you're saying to everybody is leave me alone. I'm just going to pray by myself. If you want somebody to pray with you, you got prayer teams on both sides. They're going to be here in case you want to give your heart to Jesus. They're going to be here in case you want to be baptized to help you sign up for it. They're going to be here in case you have anything in your life that you're praying about. Especially if you're doubting and you're struggling. Or maybe you're in a position right now that you just need somebody to pray with you. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple of moments and we're going to sing a song about those fires we go through and how Jesus is with us. And I encourage you, please don't leave. Just take a few moments and can we worship together here? Some doubted, some worshiped. I want to be among the worshipers that overcome my doubts. I want to invite you to stand with me. And if you want somebody to pray with you, these prayer team members are here. Come on, let's participate together.